When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, that's not the worst <laughs> delay ever. No, I'm, I'm amazed we got it all together. Brian, here start in the, same the timer. Room. Let's do this thing. I'll timer in the house. There we go. Jeffy, you can lay as much or as little mustard on it as you want. Go ahead and launch us on tonight's Dad Band Land. Here's some of what we're going to be talking about. Four stars. Four here we go. Totally. Everybody, welcome to Dad Band Land. DBL is here. DBL is here. This is the podcast that talks about all the music that you love from the point of view of a neighborhood cover band. I am your host, Adam Felber. I am your co-host, Kevin Burke. Over there, we've got the man who is now the the the, uh, the sole occupant of Brian's House of Wax. <laughs> now it's Brian Frank. Well, the old man died since he murdered the. I mean, since the old man died. <laughs> Brian, how are you? And what's in the House of Wax today? I'm good, but haven't I always been the sole occupant? Yes. There was someone else with me You've always been the caretaker. There was was that that silhouette we'd see in the attic. Maybe that was you in your mom's clothes? (laughs) 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 What do you have in your House of Wax tonight besides Uh, bodies? (laughs) (laughs) Tonight uh, in the House of Wax, we'll be discussing Stone Temple Pilots' debut album, Core. Stone Temple Pilots core and uh, Stone Temple Pilots is special to you for for a very important professional reason, isn't it? Yes, for two very important professional reasons. Professional reasons. <laughs> Great. Well, we'll get to that <laughs> right after we right when we get to that segment. Uh, meanwhile, we're all back in the studio. the The veil of COVID has lifted enough for us all to be back in the Knock studio. Knock on wood. And it, but when I say we all, I mean I mean the three of us and Kyle because. Across the country, in Vermont, uh, recording very late, so he's he's a trooper. Um, <laughs> it's Jeffy Branion. Jeffy, welcome. Thank you. Can you can you hear me? Yeah, well, we can yeah. hear you just we, fine. We got you from all the way across the United States of America. It's okay. pretty impressive. You're not going to be able to hear my host, but oh, hello. You got to come over here. Oh, oh. we have a guest. Already? 
Oh, that's my friend, noted animation writer, Kent Osborne, Jeffy's host in Vermont. Kent, Hello, Kent how Osborne. are you? Hi, Adam. I don't know if you can hear him. Can you hear him? We heard, yeah, we heard, heard him say just fine. Hi, Adam, yes. Uh, tell Kent we say hi. Kent is a, is a wonderful writer. He's written such classics as SpongeBob SquarePants and uh, Adventure Time. For those of you who, are, who like the animation, I know Kevin likes the animation. I know a thing or two about that. Yeah. Jeffy, tell us what's playing in Jeffy's Jukebox this evening. Uh, in Jeffy's Jukebox tonight, we, we have songs that are longer, your favorite songs that are longer than 10 minutes. Oh, Ooh. this is going to be good. A bold, bold I, uh, way for us to approach song it, it is and we'll hear the letter and the explanation why uh when we get to jeffy's jukebox which will be very soon but first kevin let's talk about the band oh yeah our band uh, first of all i gotta say we were chatting today through text the band and steely dan asia is still causing a lot of controversy amongst uh bandmates i gotta say it, it really it's, is it's really the most controversial thing we've ever brought up and discussed well two of our bandmates hate steely dan as i did two prior of them to really it. like steely dan i want to point out that the two that really hate steely dan are the grateful dead fans i know and i don't well, see the, I, I don't see the difference <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of songs longer than 10 minutes. Yeah, speaking yeah. of, do they have any songs under 10 minutes? No, I don't think they, they, I think Touch of Grey was the only one because they cut that for the radio and, and, and their, their skeleton video. <laughs> everyone hates it. Yeah, everyone hates it. Um, <laughs> but really, yeah, two no. of the most, most popular and reviled bands, and then it they're, is they're interesting. duking it out. You would inside think controversial band. bands would be bands that create controversy, but what was controversial is just their existence, it's just the mere yeah. music they make. And I get it. I've been there. I've uh, fought with myself over Steely Dan in the past couple of weeks. So I, get, I, I, get I, I have a love-hate with it. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow, Anyhow. Um, to the band, that's what, we're, that's what we're discussing today. We haven't been doing as much practice as we want to, but I understand we've got some sort of letter. I mean, of all the bands out there, parents, right. that form bands yes. that aren't professionals, that don't make any money doing this, they do it for the love of music. We have that's I mean that's what we're here for to some extent. And I understand that we get we get letters from Oh yes, them. we do. We do because you know one thing that we've been talking about is selecting songs lately. What yeah. songs get people up and what songs don't get people up? You and I had that silly fight about silly. Space Hog versus Squeeze, <laughs> Tempted versus silly. Yeah, yeah, silly. Okay, sure. Wait, anyway, you we, had yeah, the yeah. fight I'm going or to, still <laughs> having. Exactly. We're having. We're in the midst of I guess it's a silly fight, so my voodoo doll of Adam I have to put away. Yeah, that's, that, see, that, that's silly. That, that's, that's, a, that's an extreme yeah, reaction to a, to a tiny yeah, argument. Totally. Well, here we got, we got a um, – we've been asking people to tell us about their dad bands and their neighborhood bands. Yes. We got a letter from Mateo Leba. Okay. Now, he hasn't replied to me yet as to where he's coming from, but the um, – Emails entitled "Space Hog and Real World Feedback from the Point of View." Whoa! Wait, is he? Is he? Wait, hold on. I gotta know. Are you, you gotta let me read the title. Are of the email. you fueling this argument still? No, I didn't okay. feel this. Okay, this is continue. This continue. is an email that we received. It's are entitled you him? "Space Hog and Real World Feedback from the Point of View of a Neighborhood Adult Band." Oh yes. Now I think he felt the need to say adult band because they're, they're not all parents. No, as uh, yeah, as he should have, and yeah. they're not always dads. We just happen to be. Dad, dads. We're dad heavy. Yeah, yes. we're dad heavy. But we we're, we're a cover but band. But we are. Band. We represent all adults who are in bands. Sure. He writes. Mateo writes. I play in a neighborhood adult band. We have a lot of depth, not just dads. We just finished a series of performances in a few breweries and small joints, playing a '90s alt set. As you are well aware, our our type of squad brings in a core audience of 40ish to 50ish year old friends, <laughs> wives, husbands, and even some 80 year old parents. Meantime is in our set, and yes! it's fun to play at rehearsal, and we play it pretty tight, I must say. Oh, I gotta hear this. At the live gigs, Meantime didn't exactly blow the roof off. Wow. Some dude at the show did know that the singer of Space Hogs was a junkie and went out with Liv Tyler, so that is something. <laughs> he was married to Liv Tyler. Here in Colorado. Oh, he's in Colorado. Yeah. The stuff from our 90s alt set, the stuff that got people moving were... Just a girl, by no doubt. Okay, no, totally understandable. You must have a, yeah, a female a singer one. there. Yeah. yeah, Zombie by Cranberries. Interesting. Absolutely. I do. People I just love I, that I think Zombie is a great song. I, it, it might. I thought it'd be lower tempo tempo than I would imagine, but that works. Um, the way by Fastball. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, Flagpole Sitta by Harvey Danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin's shaking his head. Not I, a fan. I don't think I could do that. You don't think you could that do would that? Be a step too far. Hanging around, counting crows. 
No, I'm out. You're out already. <laughs> these, are, these are the ones that, that the, uh, the audience is reacting to. The line to. is crossed for me. And Learn to Fly. By Tom Petty? Oh, Foo Fighters. Oh, Foo Fighters. Oh, Foo Fighters. Tom Petty is Learning to Fly. Learn, right, Learn to Fly. Foo Fighters, that's a great song. That's a great, great there, song. There's, I've always wanted to bring in Monkey Wrench by Foo Fighters, which is a fantastic Foo Fighters song. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. I, I don't think I know that song. You oh. need a good drummer for that one. We, we will need a good drummer. <laughs> Absolutely. We hey, have a good uh, Mateo goes, goes on to say, wouldn't get me moving, but that's what our fans want, LOL. We are now moving on to some 60s rock. By the way, I am also a keyboard player. I gave up on the song debate long ago and just learned to play all the other instruments. So myself and a couple other <laughs> multi-instrumentalists in the group swap during the set, which is actually pretty fun and keeps my brain going, practicing different stuff all the time. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Rock on, Mateo. I'm into Mateo. Mateo is awesome. Everything is about great. that, right down to the dodgeball uh, quote at the end. And I do think that... 90s, there's a lot of great 90s rock that is moving into the classic rock territory that we should start digging up. I think you're right. I think we're going to be talking about one such album tonight. Oh, we very much are. In yeah. the House of Wax, for sure. Uh, yeah, so anything you want to say to Mateo? I mean, he is saying, he is warning us that, at least in his crowd, uh, the Space Hawk song doesn't kill. Yeah, but he didn't, he didn't compare it to Tempted, which, he, which, because he, cause no, the, because they play 90s stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then the audience of Tempted was, is probably, it's not something I would late. suggest to a 90s alt uh, <laughs> band. <laughs> no, that is true. Um, I think that uh, that sounds fucking awesome, and that if wherever he lives, if he ever wants me to come jam with his band, I would absolutely do it, because that lineup is great, minus the Counting Crows song that I would absolutely not do. And I would say uh, Space Hog, I, as you know, I do love that song. I would yeah. say it's about the tempo of Zombie. Yeah, I get that. I bet that's absolutely right. I think that, um, I think you sort of break up the... Uh, but Zombie is such a sing-along kind of song. Like, everybody wants to warble that it chorus. It is. And I also think that my my general criteria for songs that you pick should be relatively short. This uh-huh. is, I'm bringing this up because of our 10-minute conversation. We're about to conversation. do this. Yeah. Should be relatively short because then if, a, if someone hates the song, they're not going to leave the show. They're going to go get a beer and come back three minutes later and hear right. another song. And then it should be generally catchy. So if you've never heard it, you're at least going to be generally entertained for the it's next couple minutes. It's got to be laden with hooks, absolutely. Yeah. And I have definitely seen bands do cover bands, and, and once they pull out a song that I know is 12 minutes, I'm out. I can't do it. I, I don't want to sit through this. Let's talk about the ones that you can do. Are you ready to, to, to move down the road? I am ready to move down the road for that. All right. I want to bring in our, our, our now long-suffering bi-coastal <laughs> <laughs> friend. Who, he, he's living in the future, by the way, because it is yeah. currently 10.30 for him. Yeah, uh, but he, he has franchised his joint, so now there's a couple of, a couple of states. So we're going to be hopping onto this joint in Vermont to listen to Jeffy's Jukebox. Yes. So, yes, this evening I'm having some technical issues and some... Um, I've occasionally lost your conversation, so I'm going to introduce this and uh, give give my selection, and then I'm going to bow out and leave the last rest of the show to you guys tonight. <laughs> that makes total sense. Uh, that but Jeffy's, is, had, Jeffy's had a four star awful night. So I should point out, yeah. in addition to being away, we will miss your opinion on these on shows, but um, we understand. Fine, but but you you will. Uh, you will appreciate this from Red Sectora. We're getting so much listener mail, by the way. Everybody keep sending it. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeffy. This is from Red Sectora. Uh, at first glance, this is an idea that might appear to be more up Brian and Jeffy's alley, as it leads lends itself to a lot of progressive rock. But upon reflection, I can come up with a number of songs in a few different genres, favorite songs longer than 10 minutes. Oh, great. Love the podcast. Have been listening from the beginning. Eric Chase. Welcome to Jeffy's Jukebox. That's a great question. Fantastic. Oh, and Jeffy, I love the music that you have composed to underscore Jeffy's jukebox. All right. Since we got to get you out of here and you're you're operating so late, uh, hey, why don't you throw yours in? Uh, so this is like I, I've been in this band for a long time, but uh, uh, I sort of came later to this song. This is a song by the band dire straits 
and Ooh. it is uh, Telegraph Road from Love Over Gold. Yes. Oh, I wish I thought of this one. This one's great. Kevin, drop some some needle lids. You got it. Wow, Jeffy, that's a good selection. I want to say, obviously, for for this 10-minute song thing, if you've got a great guitarist in your barn... Uh, you're going to have a much easier time getting to 10 minutes, so, which is why I challenged myself on mine. But, or, Jeffy, that was a that was a fantastic, fantastic uh, one. I, I'm shocked that I didn't think about think of it. It's literally the first thing that came into my head when that's I wow. the topic. So. All right. Are you going to wander down the road and leave us with the jukebox? I, I am going to wander down the road because at any point uh, there could be uh, – dropouts or uh any any number of of interferences but <laughs> i i wish you gentlemen well this evening and and i hope that um that you know maybe uh things are okay down at the uh the other house um <laughs> it uh, looks nice it, it does look nice what could possibly go wrong <laughs> I think it's like paraffin house or something. I don't remember. Yeah, but paraffin you house. guys will take care of it. And, <laughs> we'll uh, take care of it for you. I love you all, and I will see you soon. Peace out, Jeffy. We'll see you in the studio you, next week. Yep. Godspeed. Next week. Jeffy Branion, everybody. Kevin, you're doing the needle drops. I got the control of the con. Uh, who's Who's next? I'm going to go next. You're going to go yeah, next. I'm just yeah, giving it to myself. Excellent. There's a reason I want to. I want to go. A couple things I want to say real quick is that this is such a fantastic topic because I have many times said that that you know when it comes to jazz or film scores, like 20 minute, 30 minute songs are all great. Yeah. If you have a rock or pop song and that song is over 10 fucking minutes, something better explode in that song. Like it is very difficult. I totally to agree. The first thing I looked at this, I was like, well, you know, in jazz, this would be easy. Yeah. Yeah. And but so this is. I mean, I have plenty that I like, but it is not something that I think happens very often, right? This is something that's hard to pull off. Super rare. I also rare. want to point out, I have to give credit to a friend of mine, one of my best friend's son said the other day, he said, progressive rock is notorious for having like 18-minute, 20-minute songs, Yeah. yet they felt the need to abbreviate their name to Prague. <laughs> that's uh, that that's, was too long for them. That's, Progressive uh, that's, that's was entirely a, too much of a bit. It's a good point. Yeah. Good point. Anyhow, I uh, <laughs> so I have I have said... That if I've been saying this for years, if I was forced to take one singular print song to a to an island, if I could have no other print songs but one, what would that be? It would be this song, which is this ten and a half minute version of a B side, a sign of the times B side called La 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 He He He, and it's to me it's the ten minutes that capture what I love best about Prince. He recorded it at his peak. You know, it's right in the sign of the times era. Right. It's got a soprano bass solo. At yeah. The end no, that no. I, it's, it's that I think he slowed down the tape, played a bass solo, then sped it back up again. It's on the new the new. It's uh, on the new sign of the times box set. Times box it set. was the B side to the sign of the times twelve inch. And when I had that as a kid, I was like, holy shit, this is the singular song. Drop it. So that's just the beginning of the song. Yeah, it, it is ten and a half minutes, and it goes gets so funky and keeps building and bringing back down. I, it's incredible. I hard agree with you, absolutely. As in, and you knew I would, but hey, uh, <laughs> listeners, uh, I know we've mentioned that super deluxe uh, Prince so, Sign yeah. of the Times thing, but if you do subscribe to Spotify or Apple Music or Amazon, and we know you do. Put that cut on. That that it's is going to be ten minutes. That's going to be a, a good power walk for you. Whatever you whatever you're doing with your time. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you're just d- dipping a toe into Prince, like what's he about? Like that is going to give you a crash course. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's all there. It's all yeah. there. Who's next, Kevin? That's gonna be Brian Frank. Brian Frank. 
So uh, I was thinking about this topic and also the physical limitations of this topic, right? So you're talking about progressive rock and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times this 10-minute-plus song thing was birthed through the idea of filling up one side of a vinyl record right. with one piece of work. Yeah. And there are many of those that I appreciate. And I could I have a long list. Right. But, <laughs> but, but you must admit sometimes forced. it just meant we only wrote six songs. <laughs> and sometimes it meant we wrote a 42-minute song, but we had right. to make two of them because you had to put there it on one side and flip it. Right. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So this is, to me, <laughs> this is a, a perfect side of an album, uh -huh. which is um, side two of the album Metal by Pink Floyd. I knew you were going to go with Pink Floyd. I mean, obviously. Actually, a good spot. And definitely well worth checking out the Pink Floyd at Pompeii if you can catch that on the video. Watching them perform it live. I have to totally agree with you on this. This is probably my favorite, like, overly long instrumental Pink Floyd, I mean, prog rock Pink Floyd song. Um, I've never seen it at Pompeii. It's only on YouTube. No like, way. It's not available. It was shortly available streaming, then it's gone again. So I've only seen bits of it on YouTube. I need to see it. I've got the uh, director's cut uh, Blu-ray. Call no, me intrigued. No yeah. doubt you do. <laughs> well, that, 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 that's, a that's a great, great one. one. That's a really great one. Okay, um, I'll step up, and yeah. this is something that I challenged myself to do because I was thinking, like, you know what? I could just go with um, Voodoo Child off of uh, Electric Ladyland mm, because sure. it's great, even though I think the shorter version, the slight return, yeah. is way more iconic. I agree. But, you know, I, I was like, what if you have to deliver a song that's more than 10 minutes long. What if you have to, like, you know, you're not going to rely on having an amazing musician, guitar player. Yeah, it player. isn't just a jam yeah. that could be 25 minutes long, right. right, that has a structure. This one, I think, doesn't even have an instrumental. It's on an album I've recommended to you before. It closes it out, and it closes it out so beautifully that some people think of it as the strongest tune on an album that already has, like, a Rolling Stone on it. It's, of course, mm. Bob Dylan's Highway 61 Revisited. It closes with an epic and somewhat hypnotic, verbal, lyrical masterpiece called Desolation Row. Yes. They're selling postcards of the hanging. They're painting the passports brown. The beauty parlor is filled with sailors The circus is in town Here comes the blind commissioner They've got him in a trance One hand is tied to the tightrope walker The other is in his pants And the riot squad, they're they need somewhere to go As Lady and I look out tonight From Desolation Road Now, it goes on verse after verse Full of, like, literary and, and biblical illusions Yeah it, it sets up this this kind of, like, this somehow sentimental urban hellscape It is, it is just an amazing song. When I first heard this song, the song structure immediately struck me that, that there's no way this is going to be 10 minutes long. I thought, maybe there's a Bob Dylan hidden track at the end of this because there's no <laughs> way he's going to maintain 10 minutes worth of music in this song, but he does. He and does. It's great. Yep. It's never boring. It's fantastic. Yeah, he blows me away with that stuff. How how does he remember all these words, first <laughs> yeah, of all, right. right? But how he can keep going with this stuff and keep it 
keep you in the story is oh, you, amazing. You never leave. Yeah. You never leave Desolation Row yeah. on that. You know, right to the final verse, which is Cinderella sweeping up on Des- Desolation right. Row. Maybe and there's not an instrumental breakdown in the center that has no, sound, no. lightning and thunder sound effects that no. bring us back into. No, it is just he, he straight a, up folk he rock. Tried to do it again on a, I think, an album or two later on on Blonde on Blonde, um, closing with Sad Eyed Lady of the Lowlands. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this one's way yeah. more successful. I agree. DBL will be right back after the break. And we're back. DBL is in the house. DBL. The dad band land. We are we are down one dad uh, this week. If, if you're just tuning in, and we know that's a physical impossibility with <laughs> a podcast. No, some, people do, some people do just like the slide to the middle of a podcast yeah, though, when, sure. they, when it drops. You might. They might. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't they? Our fans would. Our fans totally would. We love our fans, by the way. Hit us up at dadbandland at gmail.com or on any of our socials. We're really loving all the suggestions for Jeffy's jukeboxes and, and other things. Um, and with your own dad band experience, be like Mateo. Tell us how your band is doing. Yeah, we want to hear that. And uh, with that, uh, just to remind everybody, Jeffy uh, Jeffy pulled over by the side of the road in Vermont and uh, hasn't been seen since. So we've come out here looking for him. Um, and there's own, there's own, there's his car, but it's empty. Yeah, which is probably normal. There's probably nothing wrong with that. No, it's just a, you know, not, it's a sus. nice night in Vermont. There's not yeah. a lot of houses around. No, just a bunch of woods and darkness and and, yeah. wa- and bodies of water. And a single light over there. Yeah, you know, it looks safe too. It's red light. It's a red light. That's yeah. normal. Yeah, it's, it, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. we should it, definitely it, go there. Yeah, let's go over there. Let's trudge through the forest. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not creeped out. I'm not creeped out either. Why would I be? No, totally. Jeffy's missing, and yeah. it's a red light house. Oh, look. Here's one of Jeffy's shoes, so we know we're on the right trail. Oh, yeah, but, you know, sometimes he just throws his shoes off. Yeah, he's a he's a, he's a free spirit. Yeah. He is. <laughs> he's getting to his hippie side. <laughs> and, uh, and that's natural. I'm not even frightened by that. Uh, me neither. Hey. Oh, hey, sir. Hello. Oh, is, that... is, is this your house right here? This is my house. What do you call it? Oh, that's a nice name for a house. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Interesting. A nice little drama there. Yeah. Brian Frank. Yes. What uh, is happening in your house of wax this evening? Are you guys hungry? Because I've just been uh, barbecuing up this. Uh, <laughs> fresh barbecue. <laughs> fresh barbecue. What is, yeah, what is that? That smells like pork or something. Uh, it's close. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't skip on the meat. Uh, just tell us about the, about the vinyl, though, that you're going to bring our way. Uh, yeah, so uh, tonight in our uh, House of Wax, we're talking about Stone Temple Pilots' debut album, Core, which was originally released on September 29th, 1992, which makes it uh, 30 years old around the time of this recording. Happy birthday, Core. And, yeah, I mean, we're getting into a lot of these classic records from this era, I listened to another one uh, this morning, uh, Blind Melon's first album, Mm -hmm. and I said to my wife, I said, "Um, so today we're listening to a record that's uh, 30 years old, and she's like, (laughs) don't do this to me. Don't do this to me. In fact, that record now is closer to the Beatles starting than it is to today. Right? Think about (laughs) that. That's so crazy. So crazy. So it's some perspective, ladies and gents. (laughs) It'd be in the first half of the two books on rock and roll. Right. So you're not going to murder us in this house of wax. You're just going to torment us with our own mortality. (laughs) What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is you're old enough. If if you bought this album when it came out, you may be old enough. You're just going to die as we're talking. That's all I'm saying. Oh, man. That's 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 some good energy we put out there. Sunny message. Yeah. Yeah, so Anyway, so this record uh, <laughs> was produced by Brendan O'Brien, and it was recorded over three weeks at Rumbo Recorders. Does anyone remember my story about Rumbo Recorders? I know Rumbo, but I can't remember your story. Rumbo Recorders is where Appetite for Destruction was yes. recorded, and it was owned by Daryl Dragon. Oh, of the Captain and Tennille. Yes, the Captain. Right, right. So right here in Southern studio. California. Look at that. So another hard rock record recorded right. at the Captain's studio. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> the Captain was such a big part of our rock history. Right? He really was. He really was. Um, so uh, <laughs> when, when this album came out, and I don't have a lot of facts, by the way. I'm, I'm really facts, excited facts. about the, the discussion. Uh-huh. Uh, when this album came out, it was very 
divisive for critics and fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what, is the, pronunci- the pronunciation of divisive, by the way. Really? Yeah. Is divisive? It, is it? People say divisive. divisive. Yeah. What? They're wrong. Yes. No. They're wrong. They're wrong. I am very divided about divisive. That, Do you mean you're I, divided about divisive? I am so, <laughs> you have just triggered me. I'm so angry. Divisive is not a fucking word. Let's, this is a digression, but I know. Let's step back divisive? into the house. Yeah, okay. <laughs> fuck. I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 this has gone too far. Okay. Anyway, I'm back really? to Stones of Pilots. So, divisive might be more of a Oh, British my thing. Christ. Yeah, so my favorite... <laughs> My favorite fact about their divisiveness. Thank you. Thank you. Was that uh, in the January 1994 issue of Rolling Stone, the band was named the best new band and simultaneously the worst new wow. band by critics and fans. Wow. You know what? That's this fits in line with my experience with this record. So there this is go. very intriguing. I did not know that. Best yeah, nice. and worst yes. in that year. That's fascinating. So, um, and I wonder if they're the only band that that's I happened to. I was about to, to ask that. Yeah. Has anyone else managed to yeah. achieve that? Maybe Nickelback. Uh, listeners, let us know. Yeah, I, I'm not <laughs> I sure. I don't think Nickelback ever achieved uh, best. <laughs> that's got to be true. Uh, so, so this album uh, peaked at number three here in the United States of America and wow. has gone on to sell eight million copies. Eight million. Um, couple of couple of hits on this one, uh, and I know we'll talk about the uh, the songs. Sex type thing peaked at number twenty three on the rock chart. Plush peaked at number one on the rock chart, number nine on the alternative chart, and won the Grammy for Best Hard Rock Performance. Nice. Wicked Garden, number 11 rock, number 21 alternative, and Creep, number two rock, number 12 alternative. So think about that. Four high-charting singles propelling this thing. And I think it's important to to talk about the chronology, too. The record came out in September 92. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, in 1993, they did uh, an episode of MTV Unplugged while mm-hmm. they were big on tour. And then on June 7th, 94, they released their second album, which was bigger than their first album and more successful. So in a really compressed amount of time, yeah, they really shot So it's like a year and a half of... Yeah, they, they were omnipresent Yes, if you're on MTV and listening to the rock at the time. There you go. And they're one of the most commercially successful rock bands of the 90s. They've sold over 40... Million albums globally, 17 and a half million here in the States. But I think, and and I really want to hear your guys' take on this, maybe because of their commercial success, people really looked at them in a different oh, way. The, I don't or, think, it, not for me, it wasn't yeah. their commercial success, uh, but we can get to that in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but before we do, we're going to yeah. open up the floor for me and Kevin. Um, and just get the discussion going. You have a you have a unique connection to this band and this singer. True, true. So I think you know when someone. What is it you have to like recuse yourself when someone yes. comes on there yeah, to exactly you know yeah. tell the the story. So I um I currently represent the estate of Scott Weiland. I don't manage Stone right. Temple Pilots. There's a another guy who does great guy that I do work with. Um, but I do manage the estate of Scott Weiland. And back when I was very young in my first job at Atlantic Records, I actually worked on Stone Temple Pilots' third album, oh, Tiny wow. Music. Love Which is record. fantastic. Love that album. Um, yeah. yeah, so let me just uh, let everybody know who might not be familiar with this, who, wasn't, who isn't fucking old. Like uh, <laughs> um, Scott, Scott Weiland is the lead singer of Stone Temple Pilots. He was eventually left the band. He had a lot of... Uh, he had a lot of uh, substance problems and yep. eventually uh, died a few years ago, right? Yes. Yeah, he yes. left the band, came back to the band. They made a few more records with him. Then I guess they, he didn't technically leave again, but he was making solo records, and then he passed away. Yep. Then he was replaced with the guy from Linkin Park who also passed away. So they've, Correct. they've had a, uh, a run of yeah. singers that did not make And they have it. a current singer. The, yes. band, the band continues. But also, and, and this is a good wax fact, remember, wax. too, what happened was... After their third album, he ended up not being part of the band for a minute, making a solo record, and the other three guys had another band with a new singer. I love that band. Called Talk Show that released one album. It's a great album. Then, later on, Scott joined Velvet Revolver, the famous band with Duff and Slash. And at that time, the DeLeo brothers, the guitar player and bass player from Stone Temple Pilots, started another band with Richard Patrick from Filter, called Army of Anyone. 
So wow. these guys yeah. have done all these different types of permutations. If you were a fan, and we can get into this deeper, but yeah, I definitely, I have most of those records. It was almost like they sort of planted a seed and you guys kept buying records from various formations of the Stone Temple Pilots people for a number of years in there. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I think, you know, for me, I think one of the reasons why maybe they were not looked upon so, you know, <laughs> well by hipsters time. or certain fans right, at the sure. time was because they were lumped in with the grunge scene. And let's not forget the, you know, that was the well, biggest yeah, type I think, of music I think we need to get to that, on, absolutely. Right? And I think they were unfairly categorized as that. Yep. It goes back to Kevin's, uh, you know, talk about Guns N' Roses. To me, they're a straight-up rock band, Stone Temple Pilots. They're a, a Rolling Stones-influenced, classic rock-influenced rock band. And I think that's why, to your point, Kevin, they could do these different permutations with different singers, and the singer could be with other bands because it's it's like a yeah. rock family tree. I can tell you right. something. I think, right. in a way I think it's regrettable, but I don't think it's unfair. What happened mm. to them in '92 and '93? I I and I have a theory on that we can talk about because I yeah let's, I, let's, let's let's open that up. Well, I. As I said earlier, I brought up Stone Temple Pilots in a previous podcast because they were a band I could not stand that became probably my favorite band that came out of that 90s, what we call the grunge scene. Yes, that was about three shows ago. We did a segment about bands that you uh, initially hated and came to love. Yeah, and I came to love them by their third record. And their third record is, you know, really where they sort of left grunge behind and it's more of a straight up. Rock record, even the glam rock record at times with hand claps. There's and some like glam, that. there's some psychedelic on it. It's a very varied album. It's definitely different. And because I like that record so much, and the subsequent records, and even Talk Show, and even Scott, uh, 12 Bar Blues, a solo mm -hmm. record, I went back to the early Stone Temple Pilots, knowing that I liked them. And I got into Purple pretty, pretty heavily. And this record I still could not get into for 30 years. And not until this past week did I figure out exactly why I could not get into this particular album. Oh, wow. And what's that? It is the first 10 seconds of this album. I'm just going to put this. Hmm. This, is, this is the importance He's of. He's like yelling into a megaphone. This yeah. is what it is. It is. This is the importance of framing your record correctly. Because it's almost like if you're, you know, when you're making a TV show, you move a scene to the front, it changes, it recontextualizes the whole album. You and I, you and I Adam, have a, a big, you know, we both, neither one of us like super sort of brotastic hyper-masculine sort of rock, right. right? Yeah. We sometimes differ as to where that is in rock. Yes, absolutely. But, <laughs> Hard agree. but we hate that. And I and I I put this on and I realized the opening of this album, which is Dead and Bloated, and he's like, oh, I am smelling like a bro. It's like this country, like, gruff, I'm trying to be a tough guy thing that's not really tough. And I could not stand it. It had a visceral reaction to that's this. That's a very um, valid, although somewhat spectrumy reason to reject <laughs> well, an entire album. Well, what it did, well, that's that like was. I the can't framework. get past this cut. It, it it set the tone for that record that didn't seem like a rock record. It seemed like a grunge knockoff with this super tough guy like. Smelling like a rose. It's it's a thing that I can't stand even now. <laughs> All right, let's do a needle drop on that yeah. right now. So to me, what I'd say is I agree with you on that little intro, but as soon as those drums and guitars kick in, they're fantastic. Fo yeah, I like fully the band. Forgiven. I like the band. Well, I would say by his third album, he found this tough yet vulnerable John Lennon voice that he does very well. Mm -hmm. This record, he's got like an octave lower and he's doing this thing, which he doesn't maintain later. But I realize if I cut that song yeah, I out, get, I want to get to the, exactly that point in a minute. But I realize if I cut that song out and mm -hmm. I start with sex type theme, the whole album to me is so much better and more indicative of what the band was like. It makes them pulls them out of the grunge sort of knockoff thing. It's just that first song that seems like an Alice in Chains knockoff that seems like they're just hopping well, on the grunge. Kevin, it's, it's something I've never heard you say before that if an album were shorter, <laughs> it'd be better. Yeah, totally, totally. wow, that's no a, one asked yeah. for my ninety two. I do, I do firmly believe you start a record like that. Mm -hmm. There's where the love and hate comes immediately. Uh, well, maybe uh, here, here's my here's my encounter with it and where, why I think that that criticism wasn't wrong. Uh, back then, although I, I don't think it's indicative of the whole band. 
Um, in the early 90s, I was living in Boston. I was – it was probably one of the most busy and intense periods of my life. I was working full-time, doing three or four performances of various kinds per, per week. I was hosting and DJing a radio show. I was, uh, you know, seeing shows, teaching improv, working out compulsively, always listening to music at every spare moment that I had. I had, like, five hip-hop artists that whenever their record dropped, you know, I had to get it. Mm -hmm. And I had, like, probably 12 bands spanning all the way back to the mid-'80s where whenever their record dropped. And, you know, 1992 comes around. Um, or, uh, yeah, I guess it was 92, late 91. And all of a sudden, grunge is happening, right? Now there's uh, Nevermind, which went bigger than I ever thought it was going to be. But I, I loved that album. I think mm -hmm. I, for a solid six months, that's what I took to the gym with me. And then um, Pearl Jam's 10 came out, right? Fantastic, I, you know, kind of a lyrically different approach. And I and I and one thing I appreciated about grunge is that they kind of brought back, um, you know, the, the tenor or even baritone male voice back to rock where it had, where it had been missing for, um, in a lot of ways, a couple of decades um, mm -hmm. And Never. and here then just a little late to the party comes Stone Temple Pilots, and I couldn't you know I just couldn't add another band that sounded like that to my to to, to my menu of of uh, things that I listen to all the time. I was aware of it, but I was already moving on to things like you know, Sugar and Cracker, and there was all this you know alternative music was moving out of the Seattle sound. The thing I think that brings this album down or brought it down for me then doesn't anymore is his singing voice is very affected and he does sound like Eddie Vedder. If you put um, if you put plush up against Alive, and those those were singles within a few months of they, each other, yeah, they were. They sound very similar. And then you've got the, that ballad that's creep, right? Mm -hmm. Creep, yeah. Uh, and he sounds a lot like Kurt Cobain on that one. Mm. And the thing is, is I got I was so interested in this this week that I went back and listened to some of those other albums too that I mm -hmm. later came to love. He drops all that shit. He drops his it second all. album, and 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 he, there's so much more that his voice can do than yeah. you know. Well, and, and, I, and well, yeah. um, ninety two. You know when this came out. I mean, this is about a full year after. You know, ninety one. Mm -hmm. Never mind. And, and, a full year after ninety one. Uh, and, and then uh, it uh, didn't. I didn't really get. They weren't on my radar except maybe sex type thing till ninety three. Probably like I don't remember these. So by summer of ninety three, plushes everywhere, mm -hmm. and it really feels late. And I, I think that yeah, it felt late. It felt late. But I couldn't deny that everyone loved this band and this record. So it was doing something. Um, but to your point, I mean, I'm not a Eddie Vedder fan of his voice. I like the guy, but I don't, I'm not a fan of his voice. And and the drop detuning that they do, which is the Adam Allison Chains thing, it felt very firmly like, oh, let's cash in. And that's why I thought of them as this band that's just going to cash in. I think on I think a lot of people felt that. I was yeah. going to say I think a lot of people felt that way. His voice, he had an incredible, incredible voice, and I encourage everyone to check out the plush acoustic performance from Headbangers Ball. Yeah. And you can find it on YouTube, but also it's included on the 25th anniversary super deluxe version of this album, which is on all of your favorite streaming services. Yeah, you can I was hear it. Making his, my way through that. His vocals are incredible, but his voice, he could do anything with his yeah. voice. Right. Anything, yeah. any style. And he even did a Christmas album that <laughs> right. he does crooning Christmas. Never like released on that Crosby. album. No, it was in 2011. Okay. But when this. Yeah, when yep. this airs, it will have been announced. There's a deluxe version coming out uh, on uh, in October, on October 21st of this year, that includes the first um, releases, uh, previously unreleased posthumous releases from the vault, uh, his cover of John Lennon and Yoko Ono's Happy Christmas War mm -hmm. is Over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's amazing how he sounds like you're right. saying the John Lennon thing. Well, I think and, maybe that's yeah. the thing is that he his voice can do so many things, mm -hmm. and he chose to do the thing that was really popular at that moment in music, mm -hmm. um, to and, the exclusion and, of some of the other things that his voice does. And it's not just him. It's and, and in fairness, they did become such a versatile band that I think this actually lends credence to them choosing to play a popular style to to sell records. Right. Yeah, and they can and do so it. here's the thing: is yeah. we we none of us know and we're speculating that this was a purposeful choice of theirs right. to sound a specific way to 
swim with the other fishes in the mainstream. None of we us know this, we don't right? Know that. But no. what I will say is this, to your guys' point about the timing of this release and everything that was going on in music, there were tons of bands that sounded like that, that right. had that vocal effect. And what's interesting too is I, I don't know this, we'd have to look it up, but the record sales on this record are equivalent to or greater than, at the time I'm talking about, not in all the yeah. intervening years, Nevermind yeah. and Pearl Jam 10. Yeah. And I think if anything... They popularized this sound more yeah. than Nirvana and Pearl Jam. No, they, they probably did, yeah. but that's why us hipsters were just sort of like, what the they, hell they, are they doing? They, you're right. They mainstreamed they, it. They codified it in a yeah. way. And, and then and, they left it. And also, yeah, they did leave it. And also, as I found out this week, the whole record is actually, minus the first song, which I still have a tough time with, the whole record is good. There were a number of grunge-sounding records at the time that had two or three good songs on, and you would mm -hmm. skip the remaining ten songs. This one is great top to bottom, and they followed it up with a better record. Yeah. Yes. And, then they and you know what? It has something that grunge doesn't have, and listening to it this week, I mean, it's got that amazing buzzing guitar sound that is in some ways cleaner than a lot of the Seattle bands, yeah. mm -hmm. and, and they are tight. The, the drumming is just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. um, but what they have that a lot of, uh, especially Seattle grunge, lacked was it's just kind of sexy. You know, there's a groove to it. Uh, you know, I was reading about them this week, yeah, you because know, I was like listening to this album, going like, "This isn't exactly grunge. This is no. a little groovier." Um, and I guess before this album came out, they had a band that was uh, sort of like a uh, funk oriented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pri they and had that, an that early totally band like that. Into the mix, an earlier band. And and here's what I'd say to your point, Kevin, about the album being great. Two of my personal favorite songs on this album. Neither of them are singles. Sin, mm -hmm. that's Sin on is Sin, great. and Piece of Pie. Can we drop the needle? Because yeah. everyone's heard all the other songs. Drop sure. the needle on the intro to Piece of Pie. Well, most everyone. Everyone knows the hits. Piece and, of Pie. Um, let's see. Let's hear the intro to this guy. That is heavy and wonderful. We yeah. got to take a moment to sing the praises of the unsung hero on this, which is Brendan O'Brien. Yes. Um, and that's another reason why I think it sold so well is he has a producer who has made some of the best sounding records that I've ever heard, especially from the 90s on. In the CD era on, yeah. he found the best drum sound, the best bass sound. He yeah. made the heaviest rock, but the best, I mean, he's been It's so hard to be that heavy and that clean. But he's I was been, just going to yeah. say that. Yes. Yeah, that crisp. Yeah. But still that, but there's such a low end, and he was who Springsteen brought in when Springsteen felt yeah. we need to modernize our sound on we an album that we that. covered. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. and and I think he gets a lot of credit for that because I don't. Pro Jam 10 obviously is a classic record. I don't think it sounds nearly as good. Not, as I, I, I listened to it for comparison this week. It's mm. not. It, it no. made me miss the production on this. Yeah. But I do look at this a little bit like the first Aerosmith record because mm -hmm. of his voice. And you know, mm -hmm. you go to the first Aerosmith record and you're like, who's singing for Aerosmith on this album? Because it's not the Steven Tyler we yes. knew, learned to know and love. This is not the Wyland voice that eventually he became that he did on most records, it's this grungy, low, like, twangy, guttural well, I'd thing. Say, I'd say this. I'd say this is a Mighty Joe Young record. Oh! The name of the band before. Okay, right. in case you're not 90 yeah, years that, old, yes. let me explain this. <laughs> <laughs> no, you mean the original name of the band. Yes. Right, yeah, yes. this is them... Yeah. There. Yeah. Whatever. This is the this original is, version like of the Mother band, Love which was called right. Yeah. Which was called Mighty Joe Young, and I think they didn't really become Stone Temple Pilots until after they went through the process of becoming successful off this record, yeah. and then then having to write a record, which is Purple. I think it yeah. starts with Purple. And Purple's the yeah. transition because Purple, yeah. I resisted at first too because I thought it was going to be more of the Me same. Me too. And then a handful of songs started creeping through my my to my like more up tempo rock, you know. Tastes, yeah. And then by that third record, I was all in. Yeah. But was, there's a lot to love yeah. on this record. I, 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 I'm giving this one a thumbs up, and I didn't I, think I was such going a to. Fantastic discovery for me to, to learn that I do like this album a lot. I know why I turned <laughs> off. It's great. It's really great. Well, and I will I will say this: uh, Billy Corgan, 
Mm-hmm. Came around too. And I, <laughs> oh, I don't know. That, wait, was, well, I didn't so, know this. So what did by the way, Smashing so, Pumpkins was another band that I was getting into back then. Oh, going I like, I don't have time for this uh, Stone Temple Pilots. But okay, I got to note that Billy so, say anything about the opening song? Did he say, you know what? <laughs> I would remove so, that song. So when when Scott died, Billy Corgan actually released like an official tribute to him. And he said, I want to apologize for having been so critical of Stone Temple Pilots when they appeared on the scene. And you can read the whole quote online. It goes on and on. But at the end, he says, if you ask me who I truly believed were the great voices of our generation, I'd say it were Scott Weiland, Lane Staley, and Kurt Cobain. I'd agree. I would agree with that 100%. I might throw in people who weren't that exact style of music. and <laughs> You might not be correct. Uh, all right. Well, Brian, that, thanks for bringing that here. Yeah. And, and you're saying that we can now get that uh, Super Deluxe and the Christmas album. Yes. Yes. Christmas album out October 21st. Because if you're feeling a conflict of interest and feeling like you have to recuse yeah. yourself, I want to I say oh. that you do not have to. Oh, thank you. No, it's, it's great. You definitely should check it out. And uh, I didn't even... I wasn't aware of its release back in 2011. Somehow I completely missed it in my life. And I'm so happy that now I am part of this and am able to bring it uh, to a new audience. First time ever on vinyl and with these extra tracks. To two new audiences because you're bringing it to the dad band land audience as yes, well. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and speaking of that, uh, we're going to pay some of our bills with, with these great sponsors that we have. Dad band land will be back in just a second. Debbie <laughs> DBL is back, and DBL. we are. We, you know, we're down a man. We lost him outside we somewhere. Definitely are, but we're still Brian's going on. We're gonna make it to the end of this. <laughs> but you know what? He was delicious. What? <laughs> what? What was that chili you gave us? <laughs> <laughs> Says the um, vegan. Now, <laughs> I don't eat this chili. You just eat the chili. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Jeffy Brandon, you know, disappeared somewhere in Vermont in the middle of the show, but he did leave us a selection for this, our final segment. Guilty pleasures. Once again, so these are yours? songs that you know you shouldn't love, but you do love. And uh, Kevin, did Jeffy get the song to you before his he, unfortunate? He did. He managed. It was the last thing he did. He he hail mary passed the song to me before he cut off from the East Coast. <laughs> and right. and I do love that his punishment for not being here is that we're going to do an unprecedented thing of play a guilty pleasure without. The, the guilty party able to defend themselves or explain themselves. <laughs> so, we, so just to put it out there, we have no context as to why Jeffy likes this song. Like, this could be a sweet story about his... And only you know what it is, because oh, you're yeah, our so DJ So far, tonight. I know what it is. Yeah. I honestly don't even know what the song sounds like off the top of my head. I just know what it is. And so I'm intrigued. I don't... I don't know. I don't know if it's guilty. I don't know if it's a pleasure. I don't know. I don't even know why. We have to make up a story as to why Jeffy Drop the would like this. Are you ready to hear this yeah. song? Yeah. Let's go. Did Jeffy get a massage? Because <laughs> I smell sandalwood right I think this is Telegraph Road by Dire Straits he has he's having hot rocks placed on his back right now oh I'm feeling something alright I'm feeling this this is like one of those pseudo jazz Oh no, Sting! Oh! Yes! <laughs> I love that until it was Sting, it was very much massage music. Yeah. Yeah. And now it, it still is. It still is. It still is. <laughs> but you were set up. <laughs> Alright, tell us what this is. It's some song by Sting called Fragile. And it's off of what? Which album? Um, it's ter- it is off of the best of Sting and the Police. Oh. Yeah, it's some song called Fragile by Sting, and I can't tell you what the fuck album it's on because I don't know Sting's solo work. That's but it amazing. Is on, but Jeff sent it to me on on Sting and the Police's Greatest Hits, which sounds like a heavy 
heavily weighted compilation if you want to throw those two together. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't think there's going to be any, any Stuart Copeland compositions it's, on that. It's uh, it's from it's from the album Nothing Like the Sun. Oh, I have that album. Which uh, <laughs> which is which is about to celebrate its uh, 35th anniversary, and oh. I will be posting it. We better get that. We better get that. I wonder on. if we should. I wonder if we should visit that. Anyhow, I I'm we fascinated. Could. Like I mean, I get. The guilt aspect because it might be soothing and it calms you down and you feel like you're getting a massage. But I wonder if there's a story to it or if this is one of Jeffy's things where it's like, look, I can't even explain why I like it. Just play it uh, yeah, you know, Jeffy is so unpredictable with that. Yeah. Sometimes he has a really good story and sometimes it's just, I like it. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> and you know what? He also like I I I just knowing the guy for twenty some years yeah. like I have, he loves the songs that really fill up the whole spectrum. Of because yeah, uh, he's an audio frequencies. Yeah. Yes, yes, he, yeah. He, that one fills it up for sure. And Sting I, is good at that. Yeah, no, he was good at that. And I also yeah. get the version where you might find yourself in your studio listening to it, being like, "Holy shit, I'm enjoying this song." And this song should I should not be enjoying this song. It's so smooth. It's so, so smooth, and it does remind me of getting a massage. Not not just a, a regular massage, but like massages that when when you were new to getting massages. Right. There's like a there's a waterfall in the corner of the room that you can slightly hear. Yeah, exactly. We need some uh, Patreon content of Jeffy explaining why this is his guilty pleasure. <laughs> Go be on our Patreon wall if yes. it exists yet, and, and you will hear that. All right, uh, Brian. Brian no, or, or yeah. Kevin? Oh no, I'm going last. Oh, you're going here. last, Brian. Brian, Brian, Brian. Okay, What's, okay. Yeah. So uh, my guilty pleasure is a song that was released on uh, August 31st, 1985, on the album Primitive Love. Oh, let's hear right. it. Let's listen to this. Let's go back to this. You're not going to tell us the artist. You're just going to say nope. the album Primitive Love. Primitive Love. Do that conga, no, you can't control yourself any longer. Come on, shake your body, baby. Do that conga, no, you can't control yourself any longer. Oh, yeah. Miami Sound Machine featuring Gloria Oh man, that is so good. That's so classic. That still works. That still works 100 percent for me. So uh, I was in the marching band. <laughs> I was in the I was in the drum corps. Uh-huh. Oh, uh huh. Oh yeah. I was and, uh, I was occasionally in the drum corps yeah. in the marching band. And uh, this was one of our featured performances where I did a massive uh, solo. Oh wow! On uh, on, on multiple uh, rototoms. What? And. Uh, I, How many tattoos did you have when you did this? <laughs> none. I was, uh, none. Yeah, I was 12 years old. <laughs> okay. Zero. You were saving up to get your first one. Yeah, yes. exactly. Um, and I brought it to uh, to the marching band because I loved it so much, and I still love it. No, not, I love it, too. In fact, it's interesting because I, I love this song. It was a pop song. I mean, it was big on the radio when I was a kid, whenever yeah. I was 10 or 11. And and then later, whenever she became such a – what well, was obviously such a part of – the. Spanish and, and Central American sort of music scene, I didn't realize that I secretly was into that music. Do you know what I mean? It was just yeah. a pop song, but it was a True. gateway. Yeah, I mean, that piano like part that. lets you know right away where you are. Yeah, and I was and so young, I just, I didn't, I didn't realize that that was essentially a whole genre of music that I had just finally yeah. got a window I to. I think Latin. Right. they were able to popularize Latin yeah. music. Yeah. And Absolutely. now, now look where it's great. Where and I understand yeah. the guilt too, because it's such a pop song. It, at the time, it's it was not the coolest thing. Guys. It was not the coolest <laughs> thing in the world. All right, let me let me go in with something not right. that cool. It pertains to that era that I was talking about uh, when that Stone Temple Pilots album came out. I took a summer off, and I had a few albums that I just loved and listened to the whole summer. One of them was Sugar's Copper Blue. One of them was was uh, Cracker's debut album, and another one. This band. It was a super popular album, but. Um, for some reason, they kept getting tarred with the not cool brush. And I'm talking about the Lemonheads, Evan Dando led re- Lemonheads, and the album It's a Shame About Ray. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I was, Remember you know, well? it was adjacent to cool the way Stone Temple Pilots was adjacent <laughs> to cool both at that time. But I just yeah. loved, loved that. What do you say? Both what? Both on Atlantic Records. Both on Atlantic Records and both fantastic. I thought, uh, now I think they're both fantastic. At the time, I listened, I listened to the fuck out of. It's a shame about way. Ray, if that's not uncool enough, though, two years later, there's a multi-alternative band compilation album all doing Bob DeRose songs from Schoolhouse Rock. Mm-hmm. Also and, on Atlantic Records. Also on Atlantic <laughs> Records. And so I would like to present to you the Lemonheads doing My Hero Zero. 
All night. <laughs> is, is that uh, Gene Garofalo? That it could be, be. That would be the most mid nineties thing we could make in this. Well, yeah, yeah. Although it could be one of his frequent collaborators. There were a lot of them. Might, might, might be Juliana Hatfield. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But um, I love that cut. And you know what? Here's a weird coincidence. Around the time I got into that album, I think it was a year after that, maybe. Um, I got a job writing the Schoolhouse Rock CD-ROM. It was one what? of my one of my first uh, multimedia wow. gigs. It was it was it was actually my second. Uh, yeah, I wrote Schoolhouse Rock CD-ROM. Game. That's crazy. Yeah, uh, that album's how I met uh, Biz Markey. <laughs> wow! Oh, because he does Mr. Morton. Yeah, yeah. wow. He's a friend of mine. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Morton is the subject of the sentence, and yeah. when, when a predicate, what the predicate says, he does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so for mine, you know, this is going to drop in October. It's Halloween time. It's going to be an exciting time for those of us who enjoy the Halloween season. And so I am bringing us a guilty pleasure that is, put yourself in 1987. It's it's the height of Nightmare on Elm Street mania. Yeah. And there might be an album called Freddy's Greatest Hits. You might think that Freddy's Greatest Hits would be songs from the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but you would be wrong. <laughs> Freddy's Greatest Hits is a series of original songs sung by people in which Freddy just comments over and laughs the entire time. <laughs> it contains such hits as Down in the Boiler Room, you know where Freddy murders children. Yeah. This is an album that you could buy, and I'm going to play... Didn't this. you play us a cut from this album? No, as a I play? played a cut from... From the movie. From yeah. the movie. That yeah. You're talking about... Don't mistake the fat boys doing uh, <laughs> Freddy, 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 Freddy yeah. <laughs> for doing the Freddy, which is a different song from Freddy's Greatest Hits. Are you ready for, Fre- for Do the Freddy? Yeah. You're a very sad Let's do man. the Freddy. Go ahead. I have, I have, I have, Who's I want to guess, this? I want to guess who this is. Can I make a guess here? Yeah. Because I'm really, I'm transporting myself back to 1987. <laughs> yes. Listening to those lyrics, I'm thinking that that's not a native English speaker. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to go with Nina. Uh, From 99 Luftballons. That is certainly not a celebrity. That is the Kruger Band, (laughs) the Freddy Kruger Band from Freddy's Greatest Hits, doing a bunch of songs loosely Freddy-related. But who's the vocalist? Yeah, Yeah. who's the vocalist? It's Nina. It's It's for sure Nina. It's not Nina. Luftballons was over. I have to look it up. She's some session musician. I actually did a lot of research on this one time because I almost did. It was like the Star Wars Christmas special to me. I didn't Mm -hmm. believe it existed for a period of time. But this is not a guilty pleasure that you listen to. It's not a pleasure. Let me tell you something. I listened to Freddy's Greatest Hits far more than Stone Temple Pilots' core until this very week. (laughs) Oh, dear. So you're saying saying this song is by the Elm Street Group. The Elm Street Group, of course, yes. 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 Freddy's Greatest Hits. I'm so sad for you right now. No, and recently, (laughs) recently, somebody put this back out on vinyl. I bought a copy from Light my brother. Lightning Records. Yes. Look and, at that. Holy yeah. crap. Yeah, it's that real. Is it, Brian is looking it up right now and yeah. he's stunned. I've brought this. This is a real thing that exists. It's a There's full a cover album. of Wooly Bully? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. No, 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 no. We don't do two needle drops. <laughs> you had your guilty pleasure. You, you what know. I'm telling you is it it's 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 <laughs> legit. It's out there. I don't yeah. know if it's on any streaming services, but you can buy a vinyl copy of it legitimately mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. I'm so uncomfortable. Do you, do you uh, frequent the Nightmare on Elm Street wiki? Uh, <laughs> I may have spent no, no, some time not, on let's, that. Let's, let's not read people off the computer <laughs> uh, uh, during a during a show. 
Let's try Anyhow, to keep it slightly more this professional. Is a real, this is Halloween. It's time for Freddy's Greatest Hits. It's yeah, not true. Halloween yet. It's true. thematic. All mm. right. Well, mm. I'm, I'm sure people are going to be running out to buy that one. That, no, that's a good guilty pleasure because, Look, man, if, did you put the guilt in there. I put the guilt in it, and the pleasure is absolutely present. You heard it. Yeah. Uh, I didn't hear the pleasure. What? Didn't you hear Freddie laughing? <laughs> he was laughing with pleasure. <laughs> well, now it's time he for was... something that's truly a pleasure, oh. which is it's time for Kyle's crown of shame. He's actually come up to the table, which is really great. It's great to see you to the table. Be in the same Welcome spot. To the t- it's the crown of shame, but I can't. Try I can't not to remember. touch the it's table been... too much, Kyle. Yeah, there, there we yeah, go. Kyle, a... Kyle's going to be pissed when he finds out you're touching the table. <laughs> but I'm creating edits for myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm just trying. It's been a few weeks since we've done this, so I'm yeah. trying to remember: Do I give the crown of shame to the song that I like the most, or <laughs> do you think it's or, most legitimately shameful? Is there a yeah, difference? exactly? I don't. Right. I don't really. I don't know. remember yeah. how you do it either. And because it's unprecedented, I think I should just, you know, make it up. Uh, (laughs) You can give the crown to whomever you want. I do think that uh, Brian actually brought a uh, hidden treasure today. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. It was a great track, (laughs) but I think uh, hands down, it the crown of shame has to go to Jeffy this week. <laughs> it has to. Just because, you know, he, he's not here. He can't. No. He can't in get absentia. In absentia. He has. Do you guys think yeah. he'll even hear this? Yeah. 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 That's a good. Yeah. That's a good point. And you know what? That's just so, how guilty and pleasurable his song was that not even here he won the award. That's yeah. amazing. Hey, Kyle, do you have anything, that, any reason why you went for that? Uh, mainly because he's uh, he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> What's your take on Sting? Uh, not a. I mean, I, I dig the Police. Okay. I uh, my uh, sixth grade math teacher. He would play the Police every single time, like before class started when we we're doing mm. doing our warm up. So I kind of got into the, into the Police then. It was it's a, funny that like you're you're you know a, gen- a next generation. Opinion of the police and Sting is exactly the same as everybody else's. It pretty much is. My, <laughs> my mom hates them. My mom hates, hates them. But I think really? the police. Yeah, or, yeah, the police. I love the police. I love the yeah, police. I, have to I say, dig them they, too. they broke up when I was really getting into music, so I don't know their albums the way that I, I should. Know, we've but, talked yeah. about this. Yeah, you but listen. I don't dislike the police. They yeah. seem they seem great. I just never had a police yeah. deep dive. Yeah. If you can uh, get over a white guy doing a Caribbean accent, then you're fine. Did you not hear the Freddie? That I just played? I can get over a lot of stuff. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) All right, everybody. Send your questions, comments, and your own cover band experiences to dadbandland at gmail.com. We're loving everything we're getting from you guys, and we try to reply to all of them. Follow us on all the socials. Dadbandland is produced by me and Jeffy Branion. Let's all take a moment to remember Jeffy. Opening music montage by Kyle. By Jeffy. Editing and Starburns production by Kyle McGraw. Our theme song is by Adam Korn, and DBL is out. DBL! DBL. A podcast network.